Hello, everyone. Welcome, welcome to Locked On Suns, part of Locked On Podcast Network. Today, as always, host Evan Sider and join my co-host Brendan Clean, both are for SB Nation's Bright Side of the Sun. You can follow me on Twitter at eSider. You can follow Brendan on Twitter at BrendanClean14. Also, make sure for our Locked On Suns Twitter page, we are already at Locked On PHX Suns. Your supporter is very much appreciated, as always. We're joining us for our Tuesday episode. As you guys know, Monday through Friday is the usual DHR on Locked On Suns. And we have some interesting things we want to go over today. It's mostly about James Jones. As you guys know, it's a, a yearly thing over at 98.7 FM for Newsmakers Week. Former GM Ryan McDonough was on there last year. We, we broke down his comments this year. Interim co-interim GM James Jones, who we both believe is kind of the, the hidden GM already. It's been full-time hired, but he was on Doug and Wolf earlier today or yesterday, and he spoke a lot of interesting things about the team. And he also went back on later that evening for the Suns Mitzvah special with Colin Olson, good friend of the show, and John Bloom, who's the Northern Arizona Suns radio host. And Pretty much, he kind of made interesting comments. So we'll start off with that before we go into the main stuff from Doug and Wolf. And let me pull up the tweet real quick. Is he pretty much said that to Kellen last night when he asked him about the offseason? He pretty much said that they're going to have four to five rotation players, and it's between all avenues, draft, free agency, and trades around Booker and Aiden this offseason. So, Brian, your first reaction to that because it seems like if they're going to have four to five rotation players, that means they're going to one use the draft probably, maybe use free agency a little bit, and then definitely I think they're going to use trades. Yeah, it's surprising to hear that for sure. I I just don't really feel like that's likely. My, that's honestly my first reaction is I, I don't necessarily buy it. I, I don't understand why that would be how you would attack the offseason, considering what's happened this season in that you already went all in on young players. I think what he's saying is that it would be a departure from such a young roster, which I am in support of. Of course, we've talked about that. We hit on it quite a bit yesterday. But to me, that 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 would mitigate all the progress, even if it might not look like there's been much, of course, on the win columns. It would take away entirely what this season has been about, which is, you know, Mikhail Bridges looking like a legitimate NBA starter in just his first season, if not have a, a ceiling to be even more than that. D'Anthony Melton breaking through rapidly and showing that he might be in a pretty similar spot, a, a high caliber role player in this league. And Devin Booker continuing to work on his playmaking, the the leaps that DeAndre Ayton has made as a defensive player. I don't necessarily know that, although I, I might have named like the five guys who will actually stay. So maybe uh, it's not so much about those players as some of the other guys on the fringes, but we've seen a lot of investment in developing and giving time to these young players. And so while I'm in full support, we've talked about plenty, this roster and this entire franchise really needs an overhaul in some way. And so change isn't bad at face value, but when you talk about it in that much of a, in that high of volume, that's been the the thing that's happened every single summer for this team. And it's just never worked. I think you wrote earlier this season about just how many times the entire roster around Devin Booker has been burnt down and rebuilt and it just doesn't work to to start over from scratch every time the calendar flips to July and expect that just doing it as many times as possible eventually one time it will work so I might be you know we might be reading too much that's just a a number six months out that he's giving out of, of a goal that he probably has in mind of the aggressiveness he wants to have but it just really shocked me. Does this surprise you in that sense? Because it seems like continuity is a thing that would be kind of prioritized with this team because one, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs next year unless they get a Zion Williamson or even do more than that, in my opinion. But what really makes kind of confusing to me is that, like you said, four or five rotation players, 
They only have $15 million of cash space to the Tyler Johnson contract. So it's going to be a lot of retooling. And you think about from a continuity standpoint, Brent, how big is that for a roster, especially a young one? I feel like it's vital. And I think that's why you, that's part of the value of, you know, tanking and rebuilding the way that so many teams around the league have done it since the Sixers really paved the way and and made it clear how valuable doing it that way could be. And obviously we've talked plenty of times, the Suns haven't quite gone all in like they could have, but even just what this season has looked like, which is mostly rotation players being young and inexperienced and, and just moving through those uh, building times and, and trying to get better. Why do that if, if you're not going to, take advantage in the future like basically what would be happening if the Suns were to to trade all these guys and try to just reshuffle the deck is like you spent a year wasting a season without winning games without filling your arena without making any substantial progress and the the progress you did make on the margins of all the the guy individual players and and as a team just cohesiveness and, and development that I that I hit on you're just shipping that progress out to another team to take advantage of. Yeah, that's really going to be an interesting angle, whatever way James Jones goes, because from the way he was speaking last night, it seems like he's going to be a guy who's pretty aggressive this summer. But a really interesting quote that I found in the earlier interview when he appeared, I believe, at 8 in the morning yesterday on Doug and Wolf, speaking at the end of the interview, I have the quote on Bright Side of the Sun. He was talking about having all these young players on the roster and how pretty much building a young team from scratch, like kind of how Ryan McDonough was. I don't know if it's a, a subtle jab McDonough or, or not, but he said – it doesn't work, that team-building philosophy. It hasn't worked in the past, and I doubt it'll work in the future. So it just really seems like James Jones has the opposite ideas of what McDonough had. Yeah, I think you could you could definitely listen to a lot of what he said this this entire season as low-key jabs at McDonough. At least I have have interpreted several things he said that way. I think he's he's definitely trying to depart pretty fully from what McDonough did, what the MO was while he was in charge of things, which is you know, kind of that wheeling and dealing using, you know, I, I, I think it was really important what he said at his press conference after the trade deadline of not treating players like assets. I thought that was the fact that he took such an offense to that was, was interesting to me. And I think it does speak to a larger way that he kind of wants to instill a more of a culture of togetherness team, you know, let's grow this and I, I definitely understand that. And I do think when you talk about how many failures McDonough had in the draft, it is, it has to be different than that because those guys, players aren't just bad or good. Their circumstances dictate a lot of what happens with them. And so when you see Marquise, Chris, Alex Len, Dragon Bender, even Josh Jackson not reach their potential as quickly as the Suns hoped, you have to focus on, on doing what it takes to, to reverse that trend. But um I, I think he does go a little bit too far in that direction. And so I don't know if you can just have your guys and improve on the margins, get different role players in here, and then just kind of focus on developing and wait it out. I, I think that's an oversimplification, but I mean, I guess time will tell, but I, I tend to, to lean a little bit toward how McDonough did things, even though he did fail even though, you know, it, what James Jones is saying ideally does make a lot of sense. I just don't think that's really what the league has shown us. As an executive, though, Brent, I know James Jones has been a player his whole career, but now he's in a different position now where he's ahead of roster decisions pretty much outside of Robert Sarver, the owner. And 
how do you uh, delicate delicate that balance, so to say, Brennan? Because it seems like McDonough was all about assets, using the players' assets, didn't really build player relationships. But James Jones is a guy who seems to be really about building his player relationships personally with himself, with this young roster. And I've, I've read some stories where he's working out with working with DeAndre Aiden during practice about his shooting technique and stuff like that. Pretty hands on as far as a GM goes. What do you think about that? Because it seems like maybe Jones might be going a little too far right in that sense that he's maybe maybe taking a little too delicate of a route as far as that goes. And maybe once a trade does happen, how's he going to maneuver on that? Exactly. That's, that's my concern too. I mean, do you feel like there's been too much of a change this year? Just the the vibe, the, the way that the team kind of communicates with us, communicates with one another, just day to day being around these guys. I feel like I do sense a change. I do feel like, there's more of a, of a vision. And I don't think Jan Jones deserves all the credit for that. Of course, McDonough built this, this year's roster almost in its entirety, except for Ubre Johnson and Crawford. So it's not me giving all that credit to Jones, but I do think there is more of like a, these are our guys. This is who is going to be here going forward and let's see what we can do together kind of mentality. But do you think there's been much of a change? I, I just feel like Jones is talking about it as if, there's just been a wholesale flip within this team. And I just don't feel it. No, I totally agree with you there. I think that like Robert server said, the pre-century fire McDonald 98, seven, the switch has flipped and that definitely hasn't flipped as far as that goes. And really the only thing I can sense as far as flipping a switch in the organization goes, is just hiring a new GM. And that still hasn't happened yet. I mean, we already broke news on locked on sons last week. They've only hired one or two scouts since he cleaned out the entire staff for that as well. So I don't know if I would say flip the switch or anything because it just seems like they're kind of stuck in neutral right now, to be honest. Yeah, I completely agree. It doesn't feel like I would be interested to talk to people who were around like, you know, the the thunder when they kind of broke through the Warriors. Not that this team's close to doing it in that big of a way, but just to kind of see like what what that felt like in there, you know, what it what it looked like in in the practice and what it felt like just the vibe and the buzz because I just keep waiting for, I felt like we were getting there in December when they were winning and and kind of turning things around. And um, again, it's, it's not, we know these decisions and, and moments don't just arise as a result of a decision by the general manager, but the way Jones talks it, it, you would think on the outside that this is just completely rehauled positive, let's go type of thing. And it just hasn't been. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. And I'm trying to think just long-term, it's just an interesting pivot that we've seen over the past six months from McDonough, who was a lot more open to the media and a lot more open as far as moves go. And now we have Jones who's on the opposite side of that. So it's going to be interesting to follow from that standpoint. Also, how he builds the roster moving forward. But one more thing I want to hit on before we go on to our next seven year, Brent is he pretty much said openly on 98.7 yesterday morning that their three biggest needs he that we all have been talking about for months that we've spoken on the podcast, point guard, power forward, and depth across the board as they're playing of attack this upcoming offseason. So how would you go about attacking that? It seems like point guard, power forward, and depth, that's three to five guys on this team. And I think, like we spoke about earlier in the podcast, it seems like not only draft is going to be a big part of this, which I didn't think would happen in the first place, but trades and free agents are also going to play a factor. So how, how do you go about that? It seems like point guard and power forward, it's all going to be decided by the May. 14th lottery because if they get number one it's gonna be Zion and that feels power forward need if they don't get Zion it's probably maybe John Morant maybe RJ Barrett or if not trade the pick 
Yeah, it's, the draft's going to be interesting just to see, and I think that's one area where I just I do worry about um, just Jones in his first offseason navigating this type of thing and not necessarily having a, got, a lot of guys you trust around him. I mean, there's just not – I just think one thing we should hit on, like this front office, maybe they make more hires. Maybe Jones brings in guys that he has relationships with around the league this summer as if he does get named the full-time guy and but right now this this front office just doesn't have the amount of people in it that most do you think about elton brand the reason that they felt comfortable in philadelphia elevating him to that position you can have a problem with what they ended up doing or not with how close they are to a championship but they have guys like Mark Eversley in there and others, two or three other guys that were in contention for the general manager spot who stayed in place to continue to support brand in that role. That's obviously the parallel you're everyone's going to draw with Jones here because they're both very recently retired players who are navigating this job. And the draft I think is one area where you really worry with not having that support because like you're saying, there's only a couple guys you feel like are difference makers. And then you want to start to get really creative and really creative and first time doing this are not typically things that happen at the same time. And so McDonough was maybe overly aggressive and there's probably a happy medium somewhere in there, but it does, it, it, ha- it has to make a Suns fan nervous to wonder, you know, can we move back? Can we get a player for the pick? Can we, um, you know, move up from our second round pick back into the first round to get some, like all the different options that are available to you. It's just not the kind of guy that I feel like is, is going to be able to have that wherewithal, especially with his hesitancy with trade so far. Yeah. As he said on 98, seven, I believe the other week ago, he pretty much said that trade on Thursday was very quiet in the front office there, which kind of speaks to entire John Spinelli move that they made. So I wonder how aggressive Jones will be, but before we go on to our next thing, you're talking more about Deandre eight and Josh Jackson, your Koshkov, what Jones had to say on the radio about them yesterday. I want to tell you guys really quickly about our Locked on NBA network. Go on and follow them on Twitter at Locked on NBA Net. It's one of the more valuable resources out there on NBA Twitter, in my opinion. Burn and I both follow the account. Also, our accounts are synced on there as Phoenix coverage. But I know you guys enjoy our Phoenix coverage here on Locked on Suns. But there's so many other great NBA teams out there that are covered by great Locked on NBA hosts. So if you're not already doing so, go follow at Locked on NBA now on Twitter. I want to also tell you guys about an awesome new opportunity to save a ton of money when you buy or sell your house this year. And that is through Homey. Homey is a fantastic new company coming into Phoenix to really revolutionize the home buying and selling experience for all of you. Homey's mission is to save customers thousands in commission by utilizing technology to make that process efficient and give you a team of agents and lawyers to make the process easy. Simple, easy, cheap. Those are awesome. And they really back it up. They sell any priced home for the same low cost of just $199 to list and just $1,299 at close, meaning that on average, Homey customers save over $10,000. And on the back end, Homey can help you qualify for up to a $5,000 buyer refund to help with closing costs and qualify for a loan to make that payment even simpler. To learn more about my friends at Homey, text Homey to 88588. Again, that is Homey, H-O-M-I-E to 88588. All right, let's move on here to a couple other things about this year's team that James Jones hit on. And I'm interested to hear what you kind of thought about, especially Josh Jackson. I think it seems like he's contagious. His his work ethic and his um, just 
relentless energy on the court seems to be contagious because I know Suns fans are tired of waiting for it to happen with Josh Jackson, right? I think you and I both feel that and, and watching him every game definitely notice it as well. But doesn't it kind of seem like from the last regime, even through this one, all the coaches we've seen come through here, everybody just loves how hard Jackson works and how hard he plays. And I think that does factor into how they see him moving forward. Definitely. When you factor him in alongside guys like TJ Warren and Kelly Oubre, who I think are on the not chopping block, so to say, but I think they're going to have to make a decision about one of those guys next year. Cause I think Mikhail Burris is pretty much untouchable at this point. Well, I think one of those three guys ain't going to be on the roster next year. I, I, from hearing James Jones comments, unless he's trying to build up his value, which I don't think he was trying to do here. I think Josh X could be a guy who stays around. And I think his fourth, fourth year option is going to be picked up because when he was asked about how he's, what he's seen out of Josh Jackson, here's the exact quote from James Jones. He's relentless. Josh is one of those guys that I say doesn't take possessions off. He competes. If there's a turnover, Josh will run it down. If there's an opportunity to attack the glass and make an emphatic play that will lift our team, lift our crowd, he lives for those moments. And you've seen him steadily get stronger. His endurance has picked up, so he's playing at a higher pace for longer, and he's wearing teams down. So we're extremely excited about the strides Josh has made, especially in the last few weeks. So I know we've touched on it on the podcast a lot, but it seems like that extra efficiency, that extra effort that Josh is playing with and the smart – really – higher basketball IQ I've seen out Josh Jackson lately is really impressing the front office. Definitely. I think you see, you know, we talk about, and one other thing that I think is important to notice note here too, with what Jones said that plays into why Jackson is seen as such a valuable piece, even when he's not, you know, being the most efficient player is Jones hit on consistency, which is basically what our whole episode was about yesterday. He said consistency is a problem for us. And you have to expect that under 21, but we've made strides when we play hard and compete. We're flying around, we're disruptive, and we're pretty good. And so I think it's not hard to see the connection between what the team knows about itself in that regard of executing, playing hard, showing effort, and their ability to compete when they do that. And Jackson being one of the only guys on the roster where you know that's going to happen every time he plays. So I do think if that's what they're trying to to, to get out of this team and that's what they're trying to get more consistently going forward and build the team around just effort, energy, that type of thing, which I think is how young teams have to kind of see themselves. Jackson clearly fits into that. Um, Was there any, I I was kind of interested in what he said about Aiton, but only because the question was interesting, but Jones kind of sidestepped it as he does. Just he, they asked him, would you still take Aiton at number one overall? And he said, of course, of course, we're not looking at today. We're looking at what DeAndre will become. And it's not what he can become. It's what he will become. I don't know if there's anything new in that, but I was interested to hear what he would say to the question just to his uh, his ability to sidestep came in really clutch for him there, I think. Yeah, it really did. And it's kind of typical James Jones fashion we've seen lately. He's kind of is pretty vague with the media. I know that's probably the opposite of what McDonough was. And it, he didn't pull a Dave Yeager and, and say that he would have rather had the other guy. Yeah, that, that would have gone over really well in the locker room. But um, <laughs> looking, looking here er, uh, later on the quote, he kind of compared him to um, Hakeem Olajuwon, which really threw me off a loop a little bit. He said, we talked earlier about Hakeem Olajuwon, who I think is a great comp for him. He's a, he's a guy that was more of a defensive player that evolved into an offensive player. I think DeAndre is an offensive player that evolved into a better defensive player. And when you add those things together three years from now, we'll be talking about DeAndre being the possibly the best sun center of all time. So let me ask you this really quickly, because that, it, this is kind of an interesting player development discussion here. Akeem Olajuwon was a defensive first player. He evolved into an offensive player. Obviously we weren't around during the heyday of Akeem Olajuwon, but we've seen some highlights of him. 
DeAndre Ayton is an offensive player, as we know, and he really struggles defensively. But I don't know if that's have you, have you seen a development that, like that before, Bryn, where it's just like a, an elite offensive player becomes an elite defensive player? Because I've, I've seen the latter. I've seen guys that are really good defensively become slowly better offensively as time goes on, like a Kawhi Leonard. But I mean, you're betting a lot on DeAndre becoming an elite defensive guy in the next three years for this rebuild to work, it seems like. No, I don't think that that's happened really that I can remember, at least on this level. I don't think it really, I just think, you know, defense is, especially for big men, so much of it is positioning instincts, um, the ability to to read and react to the, to what's going on in front of you on the floor. Even today, the ability to have the, the skill and, and, athleticism to move around on the perimeter. And I think that is one area where you can get better because I think it requires a little bit less of the, the mind part of the game to just stay on your man. And we've seen Aiden do that well, but no, I don't think there's really a lot of examples of that. Even on the other end, like he said, with Hakeem defensive guys that become better offense players, even Anthony Davis, I think is an example there where out of college, his main hype was as a defender and he came into the league and was actually a little better on offense, at least in my opinion, than he was on defense. And the defense just took time because the NBA is so much different. So, no, I don't think that is – I think that's a little bit of kind of what you were saying with Jackson of just kind of hyping his guy. And we haven't uh, we haven't seen that in a while to this level because Hakeem is a, is a, a very steep comparison there. But it kind of reminds me of what Earl Watson used to do with his guys when he called Marquise Chris, uh, like Tim Duncan and all that type of stuff. I don't think James Jones is, is quite that ludicrous, but it was funny. It made me think of Earl Watson, which was kind of a, a little bit of a mini nightmare listening to that. But the only other guy that I wanted to hit on that Jones touched on in his interview was Igor, obviously the coach. He said uh, he was asked about coaching effort, which I think the radio guys hit on a ton and we we've tried to dissect it ourselves. And he said, Jones said, it is the coach's job to coach effort. The coach has multiple responsibilities, but one is finding a way to motivate and get your guys to play hard. You can't control whether or not they do it all the time, but we consistently talk about trying to find those buttons that we need to push. One thing that strikes me about that is I do think Jones, when you go to practice, like Jones and Igor do seem to have a really good relationship and have a kind of a a team approach to doing this. And I think that is one value of having Jones be a very recent player in the NBA. Do you think that's a, a, like you said, a good thing because it seems that he can kind of, kind of be a good buffer between a coach who's inexperienced and a a young locker because Jones has kind of seen it all. He's been in the locker most recently in the last two years so maybe for our first-year head coach, having a guy who's been a, a player throughout his career and a successful player throughout his career has multiple titles, maybe helps Igor in the transition here. I do think so. I mean, I, I think it's maybe something we underestimated when Igor was building out his staff and didn't bring in a bunch of heavyweight assistants with Prunty, of course, being the, the lead assistant and having some head coaching experience. But other than that, it's a lot of kind of position coaches and um, guys that are more focused and less of, you know, that support system as associate head coaches or whatever you want to call their actual title. But, you know, Corliss Williamson works with the bigs and we know Prunty's more, more, more focused on the defense and kind of player development for a lot of the rest of the guys as well. So I think Jones is definitely helping in that regard. And I think that is one piece of Jones's work here that maybe doesn't go talked about quite as much 
Was there anything else that he said about this team that, that jumped out to you yesterday? Not, not really much. We really hit on most of it. I know there was just a side comment that uh, Doug Franz made near the end of his interview that kind of was beating around the bush as far as not saying his name exactly, but Lonzo Ball. And he was talking about just the factor of having an over-controlling father in the building. He said, I would never be deterred by a player's father. At the end of the day, the father is not shooting jump shots. So <laughs> just speaking of that, it seems like, like we talked about before during the, all the Lonzo hysteria last week before the trade deadline, it seems like James Jones is a guy who seems very comfortable handling that kind of a loudmouth voice that Lavar Ball has. Agreed. And I, I think that's that's the other type of thing that's valuable. And we'll get on. I actually want to – it's part of kind of how I see the rest of – Jones potential tenure here shaping out is I think there are things he is good at, right? There's things that are valuable to having such a knowledgeable and passionate former player in the building that made it a good pickup in the first place. When Jones came here is work with the players association, being on such great teams, being a journeyman that had to work his way up and, and get to where he was in the league winning championships with what might be the greatest player ever valuing him so much in LeBron James. So I think those things do make him a good candidate that's not going to buy into the BS of the politics and silliness of the NBA that can kind of creep up on other guys. But um, before we get into that so much and then talk about what Jones future might be here and if we would you know, retain him based on what we know now and what what the rest of the year into the draft might hold. I want to tell you guys about an awesome new way to listen to our show, and that is on your smart speaker. So if you have a Google Home or an Amazon Echo, uh, I know there's tons of new opportunities coming out with those things every week, it seems like. And one of the most awesome ones is listening to podcasts, just like our show. So just tell your smart speaker, play podcast, Locked on Phoenix Suns. It'll queue up the most recent episode and allow you to check in with what we do here every day for you, Monday through Friday while you're doing chores around the house or just hanging out. All righty, let's, uh, let's move on here. So what do you think would be the odds? I mean, you can go gambling <laughs> like plus 500 or you can say percent chance, but just what do you think is the likelihood at this point, not knowing what the rest of the year will hold, but of course there's not much of a, an opportunity for the front office to improve the, or change much here after the trade deadline. But as we look to the summer, how likely do you think it is, Evan, that Jones gets retained? I'm hedging my bets here pretty heavily here, Brennan, but I, th- I think it's like a 90, at least a 95% chance he gets higher as he is in Zenda as the GM because the way he's been maneuvering around this year, the way he's been around the media and the radio and the team pretty much, it seems like he's kind of already taken that pseudo role as the GM, but the interim tag just hasn't been ripped off just yet. What do you think about that? It seems like if I had to make a, a cold heart back prediction as far as percentages go, I'll go 97%. Yeah, I agree with you. I think I haven't, we obviously haven't been around a situation like this with a, an interim general manager before, but we have done the same thing with a coach last year in Jay Triano. And I think just looking at the way each of those people handled themselves, I think this season could have gone by with a lot less public appearances for Jones, especially lately. He's been doing more than he did in the past. And um, doing the weekly hit with Burns and Gambo that he's been doing all year. It does seem like he's handling himself as the face of this franchise. And when we talked to him at Brightside Night, I thought it was uh, interesting just kind of semantically, but but did say something to me that, you know, when Dave King asked him, well, what's your, well, what should I call you? What's your title here? And he was like, oh, vice president of basketball operations. To me, that kind of said like, 
just because all this nonsense is going on with co-interim general manager doesn't mean I'm going anywhere. So I agree with you. I, I would put it maybe a little less likely just because maybe I'm, I'm hopeful that they at least do, do their due diligence with a search, but already having a guy they bought so heavily into the prior summer in the position, it, it doesn't, doesn't seem like they're going anywhere with, and I, well, let's move on here too, because I think it, it, to me, it does seem interesting that he seems to have a better relationship with Sarver than McDonough did, right? Oh, definitely. Very, yeah. very, yeah. It's It kind of speaks to maybe this is the first time in a while <clears throat> that Robert Sarver kind of has his own guy he picked out, and it's been kind of in the works for a while because I think we, we both knew that when they hired James Jones, the VP of basketball operations, uh, create his own position for him this summer 2017 after the draft that I think this would eventually happen. That he was going to probably be Ryan McDonough's replacement and maybe after a year and a half of just sitting and learning under Sarver and McDonough that Jones or that Sarver's finally wanted to pull a plug on McDonough and just do it that early and thinking more about it later on, just how they hired him in 2017. It seems like this has been planned for a while. Agreed. I think that's what a lot of people saw as the writing on the wall, but why do you think a, they didn't just fire McDonough in 2017? Um, Not that it really seemed likely at that point, but it does kind of beg the question now and it, it, after they didn't do that, of course, they didn't do that. They, they kept him in place for a season. Why do you think now when they kind of seemingly they, I guess I just mean Sarver, did pull the plug on making the, the, the change? Why do you think he didn't just in October, whatever it was, October 8th or 9th or whatever, why did they not just name Jones the permanent general manager at that time. I mean, that, that, that's what confuses me here the most. It, it beats me too, Brandon, to be honest. I have no idea why that tag hasn't been ripped off or why he even wasn't hired in the first place. Cause it seems like this has been a predestination thing the entire time for the past 12 to 18 months and trying to look back on it more. It just makes more sense or not makes, make, not makes a lot of sense here because why didn't they fire McDonough? If not before the start of last season, why not do it at the end of last season where you now give Jones the entire floor for himself instead of having McDonough as a buffer between maybe not getting somewhere, maybe not for the draft and free agency and trades where sitting around having done, do the entire roster then a week or so before the season starts. Oh, sorry, Ryan, you're fired. The timing of it just doesn't make any sense when you look back on it even more. I completely agree. And you see it. It's, it's not just like a, a thing of the, the timing and the, you know, frustration on anyone's part. Like you see it in the the way this team has had to operate in the interim since then, because we talked about it at the time of the Tyler Johnson trade six days ago. There's clearly a disconnect between how McDonough and Pat Connolly and whoever else saw, even maybe Trevor Buxton at the time, saw the use of Ryan Anderson's contract when they let him or when they when he let them cut his salary for 2019-20 in the event that he was cut or or stretched and how Jones ultimately used that contract to get a player who cost more and who seems to be in their plans as an actual rotation player rather than just a piece or an asset um, here. And and now they have more money on their books and it's just kind of cloudy as to what they're going to be able to do there. It has, it has had an impact. And I think, you know, even guys like Jamal Crawford, maybe even Trevor Reese. I just think Jones would have done things differently. So to let it happen that way really doesn't make a whole ton of sense. And maybe we'll never know. Maybe there was some sort of final straw or maybe Sarver 
something happened to him that I don't know. We, we won't know, but um, I, what I want to move here to that I brought up a second ago is the Sixers. And so they have Alex Rucker, who's the VP of basketball operations there above, you know, sort of above Elton brand. They have Ned Cohen, who's the assistant general manager, who was also the assistant to Brian Colangelo um, and, and maybe Sam Hinkie. I don't remember. And the senior vice president of player personnel, which is sort of what James Jones was and in Mark Eversley uh, in Philly. So those three guys were around with Brian Colangelo before he got fired. Elton brand was raised from the general manager of their G league team to being the general manager of their team and retired. I think the same time as, as James Jones. So how would you go about creating a support system there for Jones that, that you don't have to use Philly directly as the, the blueprint, but just something where we're not wondering if he has enough, you know, input and, and support around him to be able to make the right decision every day, every time. Here's a tough thing for that though, Brian, who, if you're an executive around the league, I know it might be a, a step up in position wise and pay wise, but would you want to come to Phoenix right now with the way this, this management system is working and the way the team is looking? If you're an opposing executive, let's say you're in Philadelphia, Denver, wherever you are, Indiana, do you want to leave that perch and go to a place that maybe if all goes horribly wrong, could be end up on the street again in a year or two? I probably wouldn't, but I think there is a, a potential that if you want to have the, you know, renown of being able to come to a place that has that, that uh, reputation and you know that you're going to be seen as somebody coming in to support a young general manager navigating this stuff for the first time. And it's going to, a lot of credit will come to you. You know, I think if there's a guy lower down in an organization that could see this as a promotion and an opportunity to raise their own profile, then I could see it happening. But that doesn't, that's not necessarily the, the kind of guy we're talking about, right? That's, that's another question mark getting a, a bigger opportunity than they might be ready for necessarily. That's similar to what happened maybe with McDonough or um, Earl Watson in the past here. So no, I don't think that there's like a David Griffin or somebody like that that's going to want to come in and work alongside James Jones and help him like that. That doesn't really happen, right? I mean, I think people might want to come be the general manager here, but I don't think anyone's going to want to come take somewhat of a demotion and work below a guy who is doing it for the first time. Yeah, and as we know, the Suns organization, pay is a big thing too. So I wonder if the pay structure will be kind of differently in Phoenix than other places, but one place that one one name that I'm really looking at as far as a long term name, maybe they'll come in the front office and help out in like an advisor role or a senior basketball operations role. We'll we'll tweet this out right on the day they fire Ryan McDonough. The Suns announced the fire Ryan McDonough, James Jones and Trevor Bucks will be interims. But in the next sense there, one Canada to watch long term, Kevin McHale. And I think what we're looking talking about, I don't like Kevin McHale as far as an executive goes. He didn't really do well in Minnesota. But if we're talking about or a better Houston. Yeah, yeah, that well, he was cool. a coach in Houston, but it went horribly wrong, really, in both places he was at. But you look at that, he has a, has a relationship with Robert Sarver, where he's from. I think he has a house in Arizona as well. It just seems like when Woj connected those dots back in October about McHale, it just seems like for the role they're looking for as far as a senior advisor to help out James Jones, who's inexperienced, maybe Kevin McHale is that guy who's sort of been targeting all along. Could be. It definitely could be, I think. Um that type of thing probably does make the most sense. Somebody who is near the end of their career, maybe doesn't want to be on the ground, on the ground doing the day-to-day stuff of, you know, negotiating trades and all that type of thing, but has 
their finger on the pulse of the league to some degree as far as being a lifetime basketball guy. I think that that does make the most sense. I, I agree with you. And, and Mikhail, just because Woj tweeted it, of course, has some more of that gravitas that than anyone else you could bring up. And we've seen that in, in New Orleans, I think, is the place I think of. Danny Ferry went there when Dell Demps was kind of in hot water around the time that the after the season when New Orleans made the playoffs, they followed that up by one of their worst seasons of the Anthony Davis era. And they brought in Danny Ferry to oversee things and be sort of an advisor. And I think that it can be helpful. I don't think you necessarily hear what those guys are doing as much because they're not really a core part of the franchise, but I think that could be helpful. I don't know if Kevin McHale is the right guy, but somebody like that I think is probably along the lines of what they'll do. Yeah, and you look back, I bring up Indiana as an example because I'm from there and you guys know that, but I think their role, the structure, they should, I think that's what Phoenix should follow because they had Donnie Walsh there. When Kevin Pritchard was initially hired from Portland, they had Donnie Walsh there as an executive role, but they also had Larry Bird there as a senior vice president of basketball operations. So I think you need two legitimately veteran guys in the front office alongside Jones, and if not, I feel like you're kind of hampering Jones a little bit. Agreed. Are there, I mean, uh, we don't really know because we're not, talking to these guys but like is there anyone else that you think has a phoenix connection that could make any sense i can't think of anybody off the top of my head that would would do that i mean i think people will try to do the go like the steve nash grant hill route i just don't think those guys want to do it for me this uh interesting name it probably just not connected at all but i've seen his name around the phoenix facility a couple times during the trade season that was trojan langdon who is a former nba player he's the i believe the assistant gm for the brooklyn nets and i think he's a former player as well around the same age as James Jones. So I think I saw Trojan Langdon around a, really a lot during December, probably just for a trade negotiation reasons, probably. But I think he makes a lot of sense. Former NBA player, played for Duke. He's 42 years old, around the same age as James Jones. I think that makes a lot of sense if you're trying to build like a player's only front office, so to say. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that's going to be the angle that they try to go. Even Kevin McHale, of course, obviously, former player with the Celtics. We know that. So I, it'll be interesting. And I think how he builds out his staff if it does go as we assume with Jones getting that permanent role here, whether Buckstein stays, it seems like he will, but maybe not. Maybe there's a real re- real overhaul in Phoenix in the front office. And I think that would change my perception here. It's just uh, with what Jones has been able to do during the season, I'm, I haven't been impressed, but of course I think that's grading him on a little bit of a curve because he didn't build this roster and he didn't, really have that many resources to to make any significant changes. So I guess we'll see, but is there anything else you wanted to hit on here with Jones as we kind of look to the all-star break and, and into the future? No, I think that'll do it guys for today's podcast. And it was a lot of interesting discussions. James Jones gave us on 98.7 yesterday. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. We're going to be back with you guys tomorrow for the last game before the all-star break, which is at the LA Clippers. The Suns try to avoid 15 straight losses, which tie a franchise record for the most consecutive losses. So that's how the season's going for the Suns. Hopefully they can bounce back, but we'll see after the All-Star break. And either way, we'll be back to you guys tomorrow night as we recap.